The Wikipedia style of play section is the yard marker to separate the wheat from the chaff amongst professional footballers. It's a treasure trove full of details about their ferocious crossing ability, boundless energy, or unrivaled ability in the air. And if you have one, you know you've made it. But even legends of the game, such as Diniar Bilyalapdinov, Maya Yoshida, and Adam Bogdan, don't have one. Today, on the 11, we explore some of football's icons and their distinctive styles of playing the game we love. Ben Warden, good morning. Hi, Arthur. Um, this this might be the most 11 episode of all time. Um, I think we've given in to the fact that we do the vast majority of our research on Wikipedia, haven't we here? It, it Honestly, it's, it's, I would say it's 95%. It's a, it's a high percentage. And yeah. um, and I suppose this is a quirk we've noticed over time that there are, there occasionally pops up a style of play or playing style section on footballers' profiles, but it doesn't always seem to be the very cream of the crop that earn one. I think it's the cream of the crop. I think they've earned the uh, they've earned the title through playing in a particular way, uh, wowing fans, keeping them on the edge of their seats. Sometimes it's a really incredibly random attribute or quote from some obscure journalist about about something that they did. I mean, for example, Graham Alexander's outside of the boot penalties will probably have a playing style feature themselves. I don't know whether that makes in the cream of the crop, though, Arthur. That's the only thing I'd say. I'm looking at this 11 and uh, I can't wait to discuss some of these players. We're adopting a 4-2-3-1 formation. How exotic of us. And if you can think of any players where you've come across a style of play section. I don't know how you'd have done that, but um, do get in touch with us at 11pod. It's the word, not the number, on Twitter. This has been a great 11 to research. Uh, it's it's peaked comments such as my, check out the length of Claudio Marchisio's wiki style of play section. <laughs> <laughs> we have exchanged um, some WhatsApp messages of a very nerdy football nature, haven't we? Yeah, it's bringing out our best because we are just just quite weird individuals. And so <laughs> it's just, uh, it's worked pretty well. But the goalkeeper um, will be saved until later. That is our up for grabs position uh, today. So we, we leave that up to um, friends of the show, uh, people involved in the world of football. Uh, and so we've got a great nomination later today. Um, but starting us off, Ben, you've got the left back. I have. And it's David Edgar. <laughs> How has he got a style of play section? <laughs> I was shocked to see the Canadian Colossus getting a style of play section, Arthur. Um, Edgar has been acknowledged for having good leadership skills. He has been described as a player who organises the other members of his defensive line through his vocality. Dale Mitchell, Edgar's coach for the Canada under-20 team, has labelled Edgar as a player who rises to the occasion against top competition, stabilises the defence and also has the ability to stretch opposing teams' defences. How about that for a style of play section, Arthur? That is ridiculous. I mean, come on. So was he was he captain for, for various sides, I imagine? 
Not really. A little later in his career in Canada, he was captain. And then when he was a youngster, um, he managed to show some leadership. But I just thought it was interesting that his style of play actually features nothing to do with the way he actually played the game, but more to do with (laughs) his vocality, a voice in the defence, David Edgar. So uh, no surprise that he's currently assistant manager shouting from the sidelines at Forge FC. Edgar's modest style of play section befits his interesting career. He was a natural athlete in his youth, breaking many of his school's athletics records, including the 800 metres, 1500 metres and long jump. Interesting combination there. And he won Athlete of the Year in grade eight. Having previously turned down a scholarship at Man United, he accepted an offer from Newcastle, moving from his kitchener home at the age of 14 and heading for England. And he broke into the first team. Moving from his kitchen at home. (laughs) (laughs) Moving from Kitchener. That's where he lived in Canada. But I completely understand why you said that. And I suppose (laughs) he would have been in the kitchen at some point. Oh, he would have been growing up. I mean, to to get that boundless energy, he would have had to be, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Uh, He he would be eating his poutine in that kitchen. Yeah, Um, He broke into Newcastle's first team in 2006, playing at left-back, and he put in a man-of-the-match performance against Man United, successfully marking Cristiano Ronaldo out the game. And remarkably, with Man United 2-1 up and 15 minutes to go, David Edgar scored a superb equaliser. He said, I took a touch inside and was just going to clip one in to Antoine Sibierski, as you do. I took another touch and looked up, thought I'd hit it. I honestly don't know what I was thinking. Everything went quiet and I had to turn back to check and see it went in. I thought I could be celebrating in some sort of dream. That's what it felt like. But really, that was the peak of David Edgar's career, I would say. Um, He struggled for game time uh, and disappointed at Newcastle's relegation from the Premier League. He moved to Burnley on a free transfer. He played four more Premier League games before spells in the Football League with Swansea, Birmingham, Huddersfield and Sheffield United. Uh, And his career tailed off once and for all after a freak injury. You might be able to relate to this, Arthur. He fell out of a golf cart um, and was struck by an oncoming SUV. Maybe not that. Oh, my gosh. Um, He was actually lucky to be alive, as you can imagine, faced months of rehab. Um, and was never really the same player kind of bouncing around American and Canadian football until his retirement. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, any fond memories of David Edgar, Arthur? No, I just I just feel it's very 11, but sort of the peak of his career to be um, a very fleeting um, dalliance with Premier League football before before he moved down the uh, the pyramid of English football and ended up in, in the MLS in Canada. Almost like a kind of, a career in reverse for a yeah, young yeah. talent in the in the MLS. What a player! I just I just think the vocality is going to be vital in this team. It will be, and I think you know if you did want to suggest renaming this after the cream of the crop eleven, I think um, yeah, David Edgar deserves his place. So good, and alongside him, um, we've got Ivan Hurtado. <laughs> okay, I don't I don't know whether I know that name. Yeah, he's a um, an Ecuadorian centre back. Oh, okay. Uh, of, of ferocious reputation because he has 168 caps for them. Wow, uh, incredible uh, stat! He was the most capped South American player until he was surpassed by Messi at the end of 2022. Um, he's also a member of the National Assembly for the National Constituency in Ecuador. He's he's serving the PAIS Alliance. 
um, which is interestingly actually a, a path that's well trod by former Ecuadorian international footballers. Uh, Augustin Delgado and Ulysses de la Cruz also serve uh, for that party. He spent most of his career uh, between Ecuador and Mexico, uh, impressing greatly winning league titles in his homeland and leading unfancied Celaya to the league finals in Mexico. Um, brief spells followed in Europe um, with Murcia in Spain um, before he um, ended up in Qatar with Al Arabi. But as I say, it was the international stage that really was his um, his home. Uh, he burst onto the scene at the 2002 World Cup. Ecuador upset a Croatia side who had themselves upset Italy in the previous game. And 2006 really was where it all came together. Uh, certainly we saw him for the first time in this country, really, um, frustrating the likes of Gerard and Rooney in the um in the knockout stage where Ecuador narrowly lost 1-0 to England. But it was a really encouraging uh, performance. And that form saw him linked with Wigan and Villarreal. Um, he As you do. Wigan, well, <laughs> Wigan and Villarreal. <laughs> it's just quite a... It's sort of a, a signing of the ilk of, of sort of Alcaraz or, or that sort of period of... Honduran player for for Wigan. Um, sadly, neither of those moves came to fruition. <laughs> and he moved to Colombia, where he would win back to back titles. And in terms of his his style, I would say he's well. He stood at five foot eleven, which is certainly not gargantuan. Um, but it's not it's not tiny either. But it's it's not. I'd say it's average height, isn't it? <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of average height, really. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite hard to categorise a 5'11 centre-back, you know? Certainly it's wouldn't not... say height is a notable feature of his game. I think uh, you going, he's not gargantuan, but he's also not diminutive. Is like yeah. the most 11 way of saying he's average height. Exactly. He was often actually paired alongside a gargantuan defensive partner, he made clean tackles, organised his back line uh, effectively and was confident with the ball at his feet, occasionally running out of the defence and starting attacks. He had very good technique and the ability to read the game well. Uh, he was known in Spanish by his fans as Bam Bam, um, which seems like a, quite a classic, uh, classic 11 nickname. And the reason for that was that he rammed the ball with his feet like the Flintstones character does with his club, apparently. Uh, There we go. That's Bam Bam. And a a sort of a a quote really to to sum him up. I quite like this um, ambiguity behind this quote. A notable long and short passer. Hurtado has also taken free kicks well. Although not able to bend the ball as well as other notable free kick takers, he has been known to strike the ball with such force that goalkeepers find it hard to judge and time his shots. Wow. Which doesn't really say anything like, other no. than can take free kicks, but he's not that good at them. Wow. This is um, so Hurtado, so I just think, will add a bit of poise in the in the centre of defence. And I I actually have to say, considering 168 international caps, I think it's 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 a shame that we didn't get to see him in this country at uh, Premier League level. Wigan really could have um, could have revolutionised things by bringing him into their back line. Great pick, Arthur. Love that. I did notice on his CV is Barcelona three times, but I, I did look into it and it is the Ecuadorian Barcelona. Yeah, it's the very, uh, very deceiving Barcelona, you know, you're always expecting. I think similarly Inter in Brazil, 
I always get a bit confused with um, between yeah, them yeah. and Internazionale. I would also say we've we've picked up on logos in the past for football clubs. Uh, one of uh, Ivan's teams, Grecia, later in his career, an incredible fade on the logo. I love the shadowing. It's it's extraordinary. Do have a look at that when you get a chance. Alongside Ivan Hurtado, a Premier League legend-ish, Nuruddin Nabet. Yes. Where did he play, Nabet? I know, was he Moroccan? He was Moroccan and he played for Tottenham. It was Tottenham. Tottenham, Yeah. yeah. Um, I would actually say possibly the most accomplished player I'm selecting in this team. Um, He's no David Edgar. Uh, But when I saw his style of play section, I couldn't believe my eyes. Firstly, it starts with a very avant-garde box-out quote, which you don't get every day. And secondly, that quote is from ex-West Ham fullback Lionel Scaloni. Thirdly, it's perhaps one of the more baffling quotes I've ever read. It says, when I was in Deportivo La Coruña, I played with three Moroccan players. I played with Nabet, who for me is among the top five defenders I've ever seen in my life. He's an amazing player. I also know Saladin Basir and Mustafa Hadji. So you have to let us know that he knows those other yeah, players. Yeah, uh, so much to unpick. I mean, Nabet and Scaloni played together at Deportivo. I feel a bit sorry for Basir and Hadji, like you say. They've kind of got a bit of an afternote in that quote. But most incredibly, among the top five defenders I've ever seen in my life. Now, well, I... I 115 caps from Morocco, mate. It's a it's a serious uh, serious player, a good player. But I mean, I remember Nabet joining Spurs in 2004. Um, he played 30 games there, and he partnered Ledley King in the defence. And I remember him being a solid player, a decent signing, kind of shoring up the defence, but nothing special. Maybe not even the top five Spurs defenders I've ever seen in my life. So I thought I'd ask uh, Tottenham fan and friend of the show, Joe Alexander, what he thought of this. My experience of him was, as quite a young fan at the time, excited we'd bought him because he had, was coming from what was an impressive team. And he did score for Spurs in the North London derby, which is always nice, albeit we lost. What a game though, 5-4. It finished to Arsenal that day. Um, but yeah, I think it's probably safe to say that he wasn't the greatest defender at Spurs. He probably played alongside Ledley King, though. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly don't remember him excelling at Spurs in any way. Um, but yeah, he did score against Arsenal. So he'll always have that. Thank you, Joe. Uh, you're on my team for this one. Despite my initial scepticism, the more I read, the more I was impressed by Nabet's career. He was a wonder kid at Wydad Casablanca in his native Morocco. Um that sounds like a film from the 80s. Why dad, Casablanca? <laughs> Why dad, um, Casablanca? <laughs> he won three league titles with them uh, and he was perhaps Morocco's greatest ever player. He played a record 115 matches for the national team. So we've got a lot of international caps in our defence, Arthur. Um, and he played in six African Cup of Nations tournaments. Uh, the greatest spell of his career came in his prime. That was between 1996 and 2004 when he was a stalwart for Deportivo. Uh, he helped them win La Liga in 2000 and they were runners up in the following two seasons before an impressive Champions League run in 2004 took them to the semi-finals. Sadly, though, and not supporting his case, 
uh, in a tense affair against Porto, Nabet was sent off against the soon-to-be champions in a tight game. So um, that proved to be pretty costly. And that Deportivo side, I should say, were iconic. The likes of Diego Tristan, Juan Carlos Valeron and Albert Luque. Um, he really has played with some great, great names. Um, but I hadn't actually heard much of the club recently. Um, Deportivo, I don't know whether you had it, Arthur. No, I, well, I, I have a little bit. They're in the Spanish third tier now, aren't they? They are, which I, I couldn't believe. It, what a fall from grace. It, it feels like only yesterday that they were competing with Europe's elite and, and now they're in the third tier. And I couldn't see any evidence of financial misspending or points deductions or anything. I think they've just been crap. Yeah, I think it is a bit that. I also, you talked about logos. I think their logo is just far too, uh, far too sort of, magisterial to be a third tier Spanish side it's got the sort of crown and the very sort of royal um, royal flag in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the logo so um, yeah wishing them a speedy recovery from uh, a bad time at the moment agreed I just wanted to add one thing with Nuruddin Um, I've spotted in his early life um, a great little uh, a great little tidbit the young toddler addicted to football spent much of his life teasing the ball in the streets of Derb Chofra. <laughs> I mean, a great sentence. What does teasing the ball mean? Oh, well, maybe it's the sort of thing that like a diminutive winger would do. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty much that. Yeah, okay. um, swiftly moving on to right back, uh, we have Stefan Licksteiner. Oh, my goodness. I, I remember the Arsenal days, but I didn't. Didn't he play for Juve before that? He did. Um, he's a player who I think is is incredibly unfairly remembered for a pretty average stint at Arsenal. But I think we need to bear in mind, by that point, he was already 35 years old. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he had a, a, a stellar career behind him, um, during which he'd won the league title in Switzerland uh, before embarking on successful stints at Lille and Lazio. Uh, before, as you say, finding a long-term home in Turin. He would make 257 appearances for Juventus, uh, his arrival coinciding with a run of seven successive Scudetti, all of which he would prove a vital component of, and it actually makes him the foreign player with the most Serie A titles to his name, which mm. is an incredible achievement considering the relatively average legacy he has in this country. Um, what made him so vital to the Bianconeri sides uh, that oozed talent was he was quick, uh, physically strong, tenacious, tactically intelligent. Um, he became known for his energetic runs down the wing, which enabled him to exploit spaces and get on the end of long balls. Um, so he was essentially a really important component to those sides at both ends of the pitch. I think um, I sort of had him down as 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 not particularly flashy going forward, so probably a better defender than an attacker. But Wikipedia has, has corrected me and told me that he was actually better offensively than defensively. So uh, okay. I've revised my uh, my opinion of him. Um, but the thing that I think he's most important to this side uh, for is his stamina, dedication, and athleticism, You're meaning right. that he earned the nicknames throughout his career as Forrest Gump. And the Swiss Express. Oh, wow. I didn't know either of those. 
No. So, um, yeah, he would run for days. He would be an absolute, he would be an outlet at all times on the right hand side of the pitch for Juventus. Um, and I think combined with the vocality of the back line in, in David Edgar, I think he's just going to be vital with his, his nonstop running. His, um, style of play goes on to say that he's been described by former FIFA referee Jonas Eriksson as the most disagreeable player he's met. Oh. Uh, according to Eriksson, Licksteiner is angry and grumpy. I try to explain, I try to be humble, but he's hard to make contact with. It creates a bad atmosphere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he seems to be sort of quite temperamental, up and down, um, but an absolutely cracking player throughout his career. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you picked him, actually. And another player to get over 100 caps for his country, 108 for Switzerland. Um, he was quite Is that all of the players so far? I don't know whether David Edgar made the mighty one. Uh, Let me just check. <laughs> letting down the gang. I think he only had like 20. If he did, that maybe that's why he's got a style of play section. Come on, David, you could do this for us. Uh, no, 42. <laughs> no, David, letting the side down. 100 caps from three of our back line, though. That's pretty impressive. So here we are discussing the style of play 11 and using various terms throughout uh, throughout the process. And there seems to be quite a few kind of ways of describing footballers that I'm I'm just not sure what they even mean. So I'd like to instigate a discussion of the meaning behind certain terms and the players who best sum them up. Uh, so I'd like to start off, Ben, with buccaneering. Um, oh wow um, yeah you're right that? this is quite an odd one isn't it? it it makes me think of kind of pirates and that kind of world it's a bit like swashbuckling i think mm, um marauding yeah buccaneering yeah it's a kind of gung-ho um sort of flying into challenges um wholehearted approach i i, I feel like buccaneering works well for um either a midfielder or, or a fullback Okay, that's interesting because you say they're flying into challenges. I I don't see it as that at all. Actually, oh, I see okay. it as a fullback gallivanting forth down the uh, down the flank, dribbling right. opponents, swinging in crosses, that kind of thing. So more um, of a maraud. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, I would see a buccaneer as as a full or wingback, um, and a marauding player as as a centre-back kind of advancing play so think maybe oh, like Van okay. Dyke dribbling out of defence or something so that would be marauding and, and Buccaneering would have to be on the flank oh okay that's interesting I'm um, thinking like a Buccaneer potentially Ricardo Rodriguez the Swiss wing back maybe right yeah I, I don't disagree with you but I, I feel Buccaneering has an element of physicality about it and so for me it's a highly mobile midfielder um actually Didier Zakora was the one okay. that sprung to mind as a buccaneer yeah I like that suggestion that's interesting okay um, please let us know on uh at 11 pod what you think the meaning of buccaneering is <laughs> um next up I'd like to discuss uncompromising oh that's another really interesting one and a weird one because you know uncompromising is normally seen as quite a positive term so if you're uncompromising that 
that in theory could be negative. But actually, I think in this footballing context, it just means someone who is all in in every challenge and um, potentially someone who's kind of like a gritty central midfielder um, who doesn't necessarily have the technical flair of someone like a, a John Swift or a Kevin De Bruyne, but rather is there to kind of break up play that they maybe they run a bit funny you know they're just not quite your kind of graceful midfielder yeah I I I think it would be best summed up um by saying that an uncompromising player is is someone who doesn't take any shit yeah um who just gets shit done yeah um I I I can't get Chris Morgan out of my head Chris um, Morgan when I think think of uh, uncompromising players I would have them more down as centre-backs um indeed I I have to say I actually looked Chris Morgan's Wikipedia <laughs> up and found that he he has a flying, playing style section as well that describes him as a granite hard uncompromising defender so wow. there we go <laughs> well done for finding that I, I'd actually picked out Emmanuel Frimpong um, because even outside of his football the way he sort of set up the Dench brand I just felt there was something very uncompromising about him and I think that's yeah. why it didn't work out at Arsenal yeah for sure um, moving on to uh, waspish um, <laughs> uh, for this term, I would I would definitely say height is crucial. In my mind, they must be diminutive, definitely sub six foot. So I'm I'm almost thinking a a sort of pain in the ass kind of striker. Yeah, really. So a kind of like Dick of Phillips kind of vibe. Um, yeah, you agreeing there? I am to some extent. I think it's about buzzing around the park. It's about that kind of person who won't go away. They're like a rash. They're right on you every time you get the ball. But I don't think they possess the quality of a player like a kind of you know an all-out number nine. I think they're a player who's kind of known for their endeavour rather than necessarily their their stats. So I've gone for Stephen Hunt for that one. Of course, you have classic yeah. Reading. I think I I am. Um, I think the term actually means that they have a real temper and they're petulant. Um, yeah. So I actually went to the uh, the extent of searching ill-tempered diminutive footballer. Yeah. And Google churned out Antonio Cassano. So there we go. That's wow! A, wow! I, I'm that. sticking with Stephen Hunt actually. Yeah. Um, maybe we could. We should have got Chat GPT involved to see what yes, they turned exactly. out as a waspish waspish midfielder. That would be good. Mercurial? Thoughts on that? Do you know what? This is one of those words that comes up in a footballing context all the time, and I've never actually known what it meant. So I did a little bit of digging, and I found the best definition I could find was a mercurial talent is an inconsistent player with quality stats and or potential to be a quality player. So someone who is exciting and um, you, you think they're going to be the next big thing, I suppose, but Actually, they don't necessarily always underline that on the pitch. I, I guess, Arthur, you would say um, people who could have been in our unfulfilled potential eleven. Absolutely, that's the way forward. I, I couldn't uh, on this one look beyond Lee Trundle for some yeah, reason. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, capable of moments of magic, but quite sort of occasionally a bit volatile. Um, so, um, yeah, Google tells me that volatile, erratic and with rapid mood changes is yeah. is, uh, is one of the uh, mercurial translations. But that would suggest it's fairly negative. But I, I definitely think it's a it's a massively positive um, word to describe a player as mercurial. I think you every team wants a mercurial player on their 
on their side. Nike obviously created the Mercurial boots. Um, they yeah. were uh, worn by legends of the game, such as Brazilian Ronaldo. Um, so it's definitely got some some good vibes to it. I'd also probably put Ricardo Caresma in that in that yeah, bracket. Yeah, that's an interesting shout. I, I think mine fits with that too. I went for Giovanni of Hull. He was yes, kind of the bright like spark within that team that didn't turn up eight times out of ten. But those two times, you just couldn't wait to see what he was going to do next. Yeah. And then um, just just one final one to, to mull over would be probably something that you could really pick any player from our cold, wet and windy Tuesday night 11. Um, but agricultural. <laughs> this is just the most bizarre one of, of all. I mean, how how is agricultural translating into the football world? It's well, absolutely nothing to do with farming. Yeah, I, I I think it might be basically conjuring up images of a, a player who who puts in tackles that essentially take the bull, the man, and essentially plough a furrow on the pitch. Yes, um, yeah. in in the process of doing so. So you know, obviously, you've got some um, images uh, in your mind of of tilling the earth with yeah, uh, iron yeah. machinery and essentially <laughs> yeah. what we want is um is a is an is a bit of iron machinery in the center of the park and i i would choose lee catamol yeah great question. so I, I i kind of felt similar I, I i had an image of a combine harvester in mind or a, a snow plow something that's just going to kind of force a a furrow through the middle of the, the pitch and, and claudio jacob was uh the, the pick for me nice so um so we've got some some core uh, potentials summing up each of these terms likewise if there are any additional terms that you either want us to drill into or would like to suggest players uh, befitting of the term then please do get in touch at 11 pod and let us know what your favorites are and what you think of our shouts as well We return to the 11 after that short interlude and we start on the left-hand side of our style of play 11. I've decided to go for Paddy McCourt. Paddy McCourt. That, <laughs> that is so obscure, Arthur. I mean, I know him from his Celtic days, I think. Yes, of course. He had shaggy boy band hair, a ruddy complexion. Um, he, he certainly doesn't really look like a footballer. Uh, I wouldn't say he looks a bit more like Jay from the Inbetweeners, uh, to be <laughs> honest. He was a player that had an X factor, reasonably successful career at Bohemians and Derry City uh, in his home country uh, before being snapped up by Celtic. McCourt, I would say, is known for his technical ability uh, and his propensity for scoring wonder goals. Uh, he obtained the nickname the Derry Pele. At, wow. uh, at Derry, of course, for his skillful play. And he certainly was a bit of a cult hero at Celtic. He's, he kept the fans on the edge of their seats uh, and scored some absolutely unbelievable goals. I would say I knew him mostly uh, as an avid football manager fan growing up for his 20 pace, 20 acceleration on the game. Absolute scenes. Whoa. Priceless for that ability. Was he that um, quick? Yeah, apparently, according to football manager. Oh, goodness. Uh, he was a man of jinx, feints and pivots. He scored an incredible goal against St Mirren in particular that was described as a true classic of the McCourt genre by Luke Ginnell of these football times. 
Uh, he goes on to say, a swiveling, twisting serpentine, leaving bodies strewn in the grass in his wake, followed by a thumping finish into the far corner. Arguably, it is one of the finest goals scored by a Celtic player in this century. And all of that means that it's quite surprising that spells would follow at Barnsley, Brighton and Luton Town for one year each, with his contract not being renewed at any of them. He was exciting to watch, but in many ways tactically lacking with a low regard for discipline. Real trouble, I would say, with him was that he had this style from a bit of a bygone era. I would I would sort of cite your favourite and my favourite, Robin Friday and Matt Letissier. Yeah. Um, the game has evolved really to a to a level where the, in the modern game you simply cannot accommodate a passenger when it comes to tracking back. Um, I think lots of Saints fans would 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 cite Matt Letissier uh, regarding the runs around the pitch in training, where if any player lost to Matt Letissier or finished after him, they would be fined. Um, he he wasn't a workhorse, and neither was Paddy McCourt. Gordon Strachan, just to give you a a grasp of how good this player was, said Paddy is as gifted a footballer as I have ever seen. Wow. Some players can see a pass but not dribble. Others can dribble but not see a pass. Paddy can do both. And I have got to say, watching Paddy is one of the best things in football. So this was a, a player who just isn't renowned by any fan, really, in this country. Um, he probably still is in Scotland, but um, but just was a, an incredible player. Just didn't have that work rate or ethic um, to keep running and running and running. So... I think in this team, because we've got the likes of Stefan Licksteiner, I think we can accommodate Paddy uh, in the team, albeit they're on different flanks. A weird career for the uh, the Derry Pelly, I would say. Paddy McCourt. I didn't think I'd ever delve this deep into his uh, footballing career. That was really interesting. And I, I noticed he played for Brighton, which strikes me as being an incredible achievement but this was a Brighton that narrowly avoided relegation down to League One under Sammy Hoopier in 2014 Um, but he played alongside Lewis Dunk and Solly March in that team again just proof of how far Brighton have come in recent years Mm, from from Paddy McCourt to Alexis McAllister. Now in centre midfield and alongside Paddy is Gavin Marne Man, as a as a silent play section, does he? He does, yeah. Oh um, god, the bulldozer, bald footballer I remember at Watford, uh, who was a far cry from the floppy dreadlock baller at Hereford in the nineties. Man's career had humble beginnings, playing in the conference in ninety seven, ninety eight, and sporting a flashy barnet, which is worth a look online if you get a chance. Uh, but Marne did rise through the leagues with Brentford and Watford before a sole Premier League season in 2006-07. Watford would go straight back down again with Marne as captain. But despite Marne's almighty rise and undoubted effort paired with a bulldog-like approach, he wasn't universally popular with fans. David Wheatley refers to a series of unconvincing displays at right back that were enough to earn him boo boy status amongst the sizable minority of the Watford faithful. And although Marne consolidated a place as a centre midfielder and gritty leader for the Hornets, some of those boo boys maintained their displeasure with him, seeing him as not having the legs to play centre mid in the top flight. 
a Sportster article by Matthew Wilkinson also voted Marner's Watford's most unfitting captain of all time, uh, which I think is super harsh with all that he achieved. Not a pretty player, but at times effective. The Hornets had signed the then 25-year-old for just £150,000 from Brentford in the spring of 2002. So surely that represents some good business. Do you have any memories of, of Marne, Arthur? No real memories of Marne. I'm just, the more you talk about him, the more I'm thinking potentially you could describe him maybe as as both uncompromising and agricultural. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe even buccaneering, frankly. <laughs> Gavin Marne was all of those things. But I mean, how he got a style of play section, Arthur, I, I really don't know. And And how much it tells us about the man I also really don't know. Um, I wonder I wonder how many of these players perhaps are the architects of their own style of play. Yeah, maybe they've edited it. Maybe they've I think edited if I it. was a player, I would definitely put a little little style of play section for me. Yeah. Um, I'd get quotes or friends of mine and I'd, I'd put it in. It might be edited out of Wikipedia, but there we go. Well, it's funny you should say that, Arthur, because this one really smacks of that. Um <laughs> The, the style of play section reads, Marne was predominantly deployed as a defensive midfielder throughout his career. He was described by his former teammate at Notts County, Alan Judge, as being a pivotal point in the centre of midfield due to his desire to play the ball on the floor, as well as being calm on the ball. Why, why has Alan Judge been asked to do some sort of weird synopsis of how Gavin Marn plays? And also, in respect of a, a season and a half at the end of his career, in <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel like Gavin was going to find a place in many of our 11s, so I wanted to get him into this one. That's an excellent pick. I'm delighted that that Gavin is uh, is in this eleven, and he will be playing in the centre of midfield alongside Boya Valero. <laughs> now it, he played in the Premier League, didn't he? At some point, he did indeed. Um, he's known in this country prim- primarily for a single Premier League season with West Brom. Yes, uh, okay. before demanding a transfer once they were relegated. And that was actually a backtrack in itself. He gave an interview saying, uh, happy to play in, in the championship. It's not ideal, but I'm going to I'm going to lace my boots up and get on with it. And then yeah. uh, and then like a month later, he was like, I want I want out. I'm not having this. Oh, wow. Um, but I would say Boya Valero had a surprisingly good career. He graduated <laughs> from Real Madrid's youth team. Uh, to enjoy spells at Villarreal, Fiorentina and Inter Milan, uh, playing a key role in each of them, even winning the Don Ballon Award for the best Spanish player in 2010 whilst at Mallorca. Um, That was a pretty unheard of feat, given the winners almost exclusively played for the big sides, Um, names including Raul, Iniesta, Xavi, Xavi Alonso. In that season, Mallorca incredibly qualified for the UEFA Cup Context um, to this uh, unlikelihood of the achievement is at the end of his loan from West Brom, Mallorca couldn't even afford the two and a half million pound fee to make the transfer permanent. Oh, wow. Um, despite the fact that he won that Don Ballon. So he was clearly proving himself. Um, also, I know there's a bit of an aura in England around one cap wonders. 
Um, but Boya is uh, is a one cat wonder in Spain. I don't know whether really? they have such uh, whether they doff their caps to one cap internationals the way we do for the likes of Franny Jeffers. Um, wow. but, yeah, Boya Valera, one cap. He was primarily a centre midfielder. He was a talented and creative playmaker, best known for his positional sense, vision, technique, and passing ability, and also his leadership. Um, despite apparently lacking pace. Um, But in the centre of the park, I'm not sure you really need that. You can be kind of like a quarterback um, flinging the ball into the flanks and down the middle. Uh, And his versatility in particular was his trump card. He could play in a deep-lying playmaker role in front of the defence. Not sure we'll be needing that with Gavin Mahn alongside him. Uh, So I think we'll probably play him in a in a kind of Metzala-like role. So uh, an offensive-minded centre midfielder. But equally, he was capable of playing attacking midfielder as well. Uh, so progressing play from defence to attack was was his his uh, his key ability. So I know him um, really more so for his, his spell at Fiorentina than I do at West Brom. Obviously, the West Brom spell was quite uh, brief. And I am a... I've got a soft spot for Fiorentina. They're my Italian team. Um, so I really see him in my head as a, a bald man with a massive beard. Yeah. Um, and that's a far cry from the beardless version with hair that plied their trade in the Premier League with West Brom. He, he lit, the transformation is incredible. He's a completely different person. He does. Um, he looks like a totally different. It is literally like the hair has moved from his forehead to his chin yeah it's incredible i think the i think the the beard just makes his face look bigger as well his head look bigger yeah Uh, so he it's yeah it's it i i wouldn't recognize it's the same person so um well played boya for that that uh transformation he's become a bit of a raul morelash with the uh the beard so um no a great player a brief stint in the in the premier league but a, a playing style really befitting a, a player should be remembered more favourably than, than Boya Valera was. Love that pick. Um, potentially someone who could have scraped into the extremely hairy 11 with an amazing beard. Um, and also incredible that he was relegated with West Brom and made a cap for Spain. Very impressive. Mm. On the right side, it's Chris Eagles. <laughs> Burnley hero. Yes, uh, a gifted winger who came through the United Academy and was once tipped to be the next Ryan Giggs or David Beckham, uh, but he didn't earn such success. However, Arthur, he did earn a style of play section. It reads, Eagles was a winger, though could also play as an attacking midfielder. Writing for The Guardian in December 2008, Steve Claridge reported that Eagles is a natural footballer who makes the difficult things look easy, boasting natural ability and composure as well as good distribution skills. He did, however, criticise his tactical discipline and defensive work rate. Former Berry teammate Tom Pope said that his technique was frighteningly good, that his ability on the ball, dribbling and his awareness of players around him were impressive. So uh, Tom Pope and Steve Claridge there, Arthur, to add to names who probably shouldn't be giving quotes in style of play sections. Absolutely. Really random point, but I just remember Tom Pope being an absolute titan in League Two for one season, um, scoring absolutely tons of goals. But um, yeah, that's a very random aside. 
Um, I also think it's key, Ben, that you you've added a, a bandana wearer to this mm, team. Yes, uh, that really I think influences the style of play. You can't be a kind of um, you can't you can't be playing the basics as a bandana wearer. You've got to take risks. Um, yeah, kind of like wearing flashy trousers on the golf course. You've got to be able to pull it off. Um, Absolutely, and Chris Eagles certainly did that. Absolutely. And I think we've got another style of play here who suits this side in that we've got Licksteiner marauding up the flank. Eagles doesn't have to track back quite so much. And equally, you know, if Paddy McCourt's having a quiet day, we've got David Edgar's vocality behind him. So um, we've set this up really well. At United, Eagles formed an integral part of a fearsome youth side, which included the likes of Phil Bardsley, Tom Heaton, Gerard Piquet and Giuseppe Rossi. He was rated by Sir Alex, but he unfortunately believed his own hype uh, and famously got into a scrap with Roy Keane on the training ground, uh, having left a bit on him in the challenge. Having failed to make the grade at United, Eagles became a serial signing of Owen Coyle. He first signed for Burnley in 2008 and was a great success. He chipped in with 25 goals in 143 games, including a season in the Premier League. And that success prompted Coyle to bring him to Bolton, where again he was a great success and scored four Premier League goals. He was a player of the month on numerous occasions for Bolton. And in July 2014, he was awarded an honorary degree by the University of Bolton for his services to sport. And I was actually quite impressed to read this, Arthur. Do you remember those successful seasons he had? Uh, Sorry, with which club? Burnley and Bolton. Uh, Not Really? I remember him being a reasonably good player in the Premier League, but not really scoring much or assisting that much. Hmm. Yeah, really highly thought of years for by uh, Burnley and Bolton fans, but maybe not enough to get a style of play section. I don't really know how that's happened. Excellent pick. Welcome to the team, Chris Eagles. Um, and playing in centre attacking midfield, it's Carlos Marinelli. <laughs> oh, Wow. Carlos Marinelli. I remember the Borough days. Correct. A random pick. But back in 1999, a young Boca side was touring Europe, playing several friendly games, one of which was against a mixed Borough team. Uh, Brian Robson was blown away by a young midfielder they thought was incredibly special. And that was Carlos. Um, They begun negotiations during that very tour Uh, before eventually completing the signing in October. Um, He was yet to make his professional debut with just a handful of reserve matches under his belt, Um, but he was on the way to the Premier League amid giddy talk of him becoming Argentina's next superstar, swirling about in the sort of, I guess, more sensationalist corners of the sporting press. And that is really why I picked him. He actually is the only player in this eleven without a style of play section on Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, so I've broken with the uh, the rule for this 11, but I wanted to pick him because he falls into the excellent Wikipedia rabbit warren that is the new Maradona. <laughs> <laughs> oh good. Yeah, okay. I mean this is a this is a Wikipedia page that includes genuine legends of the game such as Raquel May uh, Javier Saviola and of course Lionel Messi. Others have been a little bit wide of the mark. Um, you picked one in a previous eleven. That's Franco De Santo, 
um, <laughs> which was very, very wide of the mark. But there's also Carlos Marinelli. Uh, there's Andres D'Alessandro, the ex-Portsmouth Loney. Um, and uh, and yeah, Carlos um, really was very, very well thought of. He was a whiz with the ball at his feet. Uh, he was an excellent dribbler and had a superb shot. Um, I've got a quote here from Captain uh, Paul Ince saying, Carlos scares opponents. Technically, he's fantastic. He just needs to get a bit stronger, but that will come with games. He's going to be a very special player. His debut for Borough was for the reserves, usually spectated by around 400 people, but 10,000 turned up to watch him play and saw him score a free kick. This was a 17-year-old who had the world at his feet. But it sounds like a broken record on this pod, I know, but he wasn't able to fulfil his enormous potential. (laughs) Of course not. Fleeting chances in the first team were punctuated by injury. Uh, He frustrated fans and teammates alike by not tracking back uh, and essentially letting his head drop when he lost the ball. Um, So it's a not actually dissimilar to Paddy McCourt as a player. Accommodating them both in this team is going to put a lot of pressure on Stefan Licksteiner. So um, we're counting on you, big man. He was farmed out eventually on loan to Torino, um, where the extent of his efforts would uh, would boil down to receiving a red card in the Torino derby for pushing the referee uh, and telling him to take off your Juventus shirt. And his career would eventually become nomadic. He would return to Argentina and then spend time in Portugal, Colombia, USA and Hungary uh, before finishing his career in Peru. Uh, And he now finds himself as a football agent based in Peru. Um, So hopefully he'll he'll discover the next Carlos Marinelli. (laughs) Wow. Carlos Marinelli. He, He certainly isn't the first footballer to have come over with huge promise from South America and not managed to achieve that height in the Premier League but he won't be the last either and I think he warrants his place in this style of play 11 even without a style of play section Arthur the new Maradona McCourt to blaze one over for Barnsley not too long ago he's in possession again hurdles the challenge of Butterfield McCourt into the penalty area Jill McCourt McCourt what a goal tremendous goal by Paddy McCourt Okay, just one man leads the line for our style of play 11. And after much research, for me, it had to be Valery Bodjanov. God, that's a name that that, that um, lives in the mind because of football manager. He was a, obviously a wonder kid at Man City on the game. And yeah. I used to love signing him. You're Bulgarian so right, legend. Yeah, a maestro, adored in his country at an early age, but sadly a Premier League flop. Uh, He was discovered at the age of 14 by Lecce sports director Pantaleo Corvino while playing for Pieta Hotspurs in Malta, believe it or not. Uh, And he was signed for just 30 million lira, which is about 15,000 euros. He became the youngest non-national to score in Serie A before making an encouraging start to his time at Fiorentina and then Juventus. So when he signed for Man City at 20 years old in 2007, there were high hopes for the Bulgarian striker. 
But alas, it was a disaster. He suffered a knee ligament injury, which kept him out of the team for many months. And just as he was making it back into the side uh, after a decent preseason, he suffered an Achilles injury, which kept him out once more. His eventual return was underwhelming with limited game time under Mark Hughes. He fought with Craig Bellamy and compatriot Martin Petrov for a place in the side, amongst others, and he scored just once. His City stats, two seasons, 12 appearances, one goal. Maybe he'd have a chance to redeem himself at Sporting Lisbon, a fresh start. Well, no. On the 20th of January 2012, Sporting declared Bojinov persona non grata, forbidding the player from entering the stadium or the training academy due to his actions in a Taca de Liga match against Moriense, played the previous day. At 92 minutes, Sporting won a penalty kick that would, if scored, give the team victory. The regular penalty taker for Sporting, Matias Fernandez, prepared to take the shot, but Bojanov took the ball from him, pushing him away and insisting that he would take the shot instead, despite never having taken a penalty for the side or scored a penalty in an official game since 2006. He failed to score once more, infuriating the supporters and Sporting's managers, who subsequently banned him on that basis, having disrespected the club. Indeed, having left City, Bojanov became a football journeyman. He made an incredible 19 transfers in the 12 remaining years of his career, playing in Switzerland, Serbia, Croatia and China, amongst other nations. He did have a prolific spell at Botevaratsa in Bulgaria, playing at a much lower level, of course, um, but largely saw his talent go to waste. An unhealthy lifestyle, lack of determination and a penchant for beautiful women and an Instagram lifestyle to boot may be to blame. But he did once save a man's life, Arthur, with CPR. So maybe he's an misunderstood nice guy. Let's end with his style of play section. Once considered to be a highly promising prospect in his youth, Bojanov is known for his skill and goal scoring abilities as a striker. Not sure that really adds up and is capable of scoring with either foot due to his powerful and accurate striking ability, which also enabled him to play alongside another forward as a second striker. He was known for his speed over short distances, his agility, explosive acceleration, quick feet, close control. But in spite of his talent, he's also garnered a reputation throughout his career for being inconsistent. I feel that's a largely positive style of play section for someone who never really fulfilled that potential. Yeah, I would agree with that. He reminds me somewhat of, I don't really know why, but Goran Pandev. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Got a little bit of a similar look about them, albeit I think Valery Bojanov has a better hairline than Goran (laughs) Pandev. Oh, Um, that's the similarity. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think Um, Pandev... But also his players. What I would say, Pandev was kind of a late bloomer and he continued his... A little bit of form late into his career, whereas Bojanov really dropped off. We return to our up for grabs position. Um, If you're familiar with the podcast, you'll know that we dole out this position to football personalities on Twitter. Uh, It's the goalkeeper this time and it's being nominated by the Wikipedia Footballers Quiz at Wikiballers Quiz 
on Twitter. Now, uh, I don't know about you, Arthur, but we have this flying around the office quite regularly. It's a fantastic little game, um, well worth a follow. Uh, Essentially, they are sharing screenshots of footballers' CVs via Wikipedia, the, the teams they played for, the goals they scored, and you have to guess who the player is just from that alone. Um, I love having a go at these. Uh, there's tons of them on the profile already. They get updated regularly. Uh, and it's also worth following spotted Premier League players and unpopular football opinions, um, all run, I believe, by Ryan Plant. Let's hear from him. I've got no doubt in my mind that this team will attack from the outset. So with that in mind, I think a goalkeeper who's comfortable with the ball at his feet will fit in perfectly. I wanted someone quick off his line, commanded, two-footed and happy to play out from the back. The kind of goalkeeper that I imagine Edison had a poster of on his wall when he was younger. Yes, this guy made mistakes. Yes, he was very unpredictable. Yes, he was actually pretty small, but he couldn't half pull a worldie out of nowhere. And if ever this team got into a penalty shootout, we covered. This guy was unbelievable. I've gone for the IFFHS's fourth best French goalkeeper of all time, turned Le Mans racing driver, Fabian Barthez. Good pick. In our Mavericks 11 as well, Fabian Barthez. Um, and interesting to hear about the, the sort of two sides of his style of play section. Do you remember him as a, a positive or a negative? I think it's definitely a net positive. I yeah. think the uh, the achievements he had at Man United were were pretty incredible. So, um, yeah, a, a, a maverick, but a good maverick, I would say. Sorry. And I have a nomination as well. Uh, this won't be in the poll due to uh, due to Elon's changes at Twitter. Um, however, Sebastian Frey Ooh. would be my uh, nomination. Yeah, acrobatic shot stopping and strong with the ball at his feet. Uh, having initially been an outfield player in his youth, uh, his two France caps are demonstrative of just how good an array of goalkeepers France has had. This despite being one of Serie A's best goalkeepers for Fiorentina in particular, and he was he was in Serie A for over a decade. Uh, he was also known for his speed at rushing out and closing off one-on-one situations. Um, though apparently his ability at claiming crosses was questioned. I challenge you, listeners, to find a goalkeeper with a style of play section that doesn't have his claiming crosses stats questioned. Everyone I looked at was like, oh yeah, good at one and one, good at <laughs> oh. stop stopping, reflexes, whatever. But his claiming crosses stats weren't great. <laughs> um, so that's perhaps um, why Ben Marcus Hanneman was such a good pick in the uh in the moneyball 11 yeah love that um i i probably would have put lee woon jay in with a shout i remember him from the 2002 world cup and also the fifa street video game primarily um his style of play section uh remembers his nickname the spider hand um and that's doesn't really seem to be justified but um, he was regarded as one of the greatest South Korean goalkeepers of all time. Didn't necessarily have massive height or pace, but he showed good judgment and harmony with his defenders. Um, and it also mentions that he was noted for his predictive ability, which made him strong at penalty shootouts. In shootouts during his K-League career, he won 92% of them, i.e. 11 out of 12, 
and he saved 45% of shots at him, which is quite remarkable, really. Yeah, fantastic shout. I think he's a uh, a really, really good nomination. And here's Eagles. He's got Ronaldo up with him. Eagles tries to steer it in and he's done that. Just to emphasise what a day this has been for Manchester United. Arthur, I've really enjoyed this exploration of the quirks of a style of play section on footballers' Wikipedia profiles. Yeah, it's been a good one. I think to to top and tail this, we're going to have to have maybe some characters on the bench. I actually don't have any because I, I felt like Stefan Lichtsteiner will just do all the running. He's so going to do it all. Any, all good. Yeah. I, I felt like we, we had to have someone else in there that I, I, where it's, it's almost comical that they've got a style of play section. And for, for me, that was Arnold Muvuemba, the uh, Portsmouth flop. He's managed to get a style of play section. It was also quite an interesting one where it mentions that, uh, according to Peter Crouch, he was the most talented player in the Portsmouth squad, but could not perform at his best due to nerves Apparently, Crouch, uh, Crouch wrote that Muvoemba was a genius midfield playmaker. He could turn invisible at the sound of a referee's whistle. So, uh, welcome wow. to the Pines. I've actually got um, one in hindsight. I like to have Noah Solskjaer on the bench. Oh, wow. Um, that's Oli Gunnar's son. Um, just because <laughs> his Wikipedia style of play section, which he does have, is... He has said he models his game on Michael Carrick. Right. He has previously said his favourite player is Wayne Rooney. So oh. I don't know whether that's just Oli Gunnar adding for his son to, yeah. uh, to, to boost his career in some way. Really unusual that you'd have your favourite player in the style of play section. but um, childish, yeah. to, I, dare to, I dare to say. Um, but to run you through the style of play 11, in goal we have Fabian Bartes. At left back, it's David Edgar. Centre backs pairing of Ivan Hurtado and Nuruddin Nabet. At right back, we have Stefan Lichsteiner. In the centre of the park, it's Boya Valero and Gavin Mahn. On the left, it's Paddy McCourt. On the right, it's Chris Eagles. And centre attacking midfielder, it's Carlos Marinelli. And then up front, doing all the brunt on his own, it's Valery Bozhinov. Thank you for listening.